Amen. Acts chapter 17 in our Bibles. Hey, don't let me forget the business. <laughs> Acts chapter number 17 in our Bibles tonight. It's great to be in the house of the Lord. It's great to be with God's people. Great to sing great hymns that stir us and challenge us. Someone defined a habit as a behavior that we do consciously or unconsciously because they are ingrained and conditioned in our behavioral patterns of coping. We know habits can be good. Habits can be bad. How many of you have some good habits? How many of you have, and will admit it, you have some bad habits? <laughs> I think the hands went up quicker with the bad habits. I want to see you to see a phrase tonight that has been on my heart all week. It's been on my mind all week. I knew as I meditated on this phrase, I knew about where it was in the Bible, and I had to kind of say, now where is that phrase? I knew somewhat the circumstances around it, um, but as the phrase was on my mind all week, I said, okay, Lord, I am going to focus on that little phrase, what God would have for us tonight. It's found in verse 2 of Acts chapter 17. I want to begin reading at verse number 1, and we'll read to verse number 3. I'll highlight the phrase in just a minute. Maybe when we get there, maybe you'll pick it out. Now, when they had passed through Ampilalus, Ampilapis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where was a synagogue of the Jews. And Paul, as his manner was, went in unto them, and three Sabbath days reasoned with them out of the Scriptures opening and alleging that Christ must needs have suffered and risen again from the dead, and that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. Did you pick out the little phrase found in verse number two? And Paul, here's our phrase now, as his manner was. The phrase as his manner was is a phrase that means to be in the habit of a habitual practice of long standing. Under the leadership of the Holy Spirit, the author of the book of Acts, Dr. Luke, tells us concerning the Apostle Paul that his life, he was in the habit of going to the synagogue and preaching Christ. We all said we have habits, good habits and bad habits. What habits characterize our life. Notice the Apostle Paul wasn't forced to preach Christ. He wasn't pressured to preach Christ. He wasn't pressured to go on visitation or, or outreach. He wasn't bribed. It wasn't something that he did only once a month or here and there. Preaching Christ was the habit of his life. As I thought about this phrase, as his manner was. I couldn't help but think, how can I make preaching Christ a habit, a practice of long standing, something that happens naturally? Really, when we think about some habits, some habits we have are things that we do, and sometimes we're not even conscious of it, as the manner of his life was. I have four thoughts for us tonight, 
as I think concerning making outreach a habit in our life, making it a priority. Let's have prayer, and then I want to look at this little phrase. Lord, we love you tonight. Thank you for what the Scripture says about the Apostle Paul. He had a habit, a daily practice of his life to preach Christ. Lord, I pray that you would help us, that we wouldn't just preach Christ once a month or just on Saturday. Lord, you'd help us to preach Christ as a habit, as a way of life. Lord, we'll thank you for what you do. We need you, Lord. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. How can I make preaching Christ a manner of my life, a habit of my life? Number one, I think it's important for us to see the needs. It's important for us to see the needs of people around us. In chapter 17 of the book of Acts, which is where we are, in verse number 15, the Apostle Paul is waiting on Silas and Timothy. He had been in Thessalonica, and they had preached, and they saw God work, and people got upset, and they left Thessalonica, and they went to Berea. And when they got to Berea, they were preaching Christ, and they obviously received the word, but people in Thessalonica found out that they went to Berea, and they went to Berea, and they caused them some more troubles. And uh, Paul finds himself going to Athens. Paul, you head to Athens, and you wait on us while he's waiting on Silas and Timothy. And I want us to see in verse number 15, the Bible says, and they, and they that conducted Paul brought him unto Athens. They wanted to kill Paul. And receiving a commandment unto Silas and Timotheus for to come to him with all speed, they departed. Paul will be right back. You wait here in Athens. And I want you to see what happens in verse number 16. The Bible says, Now while Paul waited for them at Athens, his spirit was stirred in him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. When I read that verse, I wondered what he would have done if he had a cell phone. <laughs> what do you do when you have to wait in line? You ever watch people waiting? When they ever have to wait, they get right on their phone as soon as they can. They're standing in line at the post office, and people are on their phones flipping through or whatever they're doing. People got to wait in line at the doctor's office, and they're on their phones. People are on their phones constantly. The Apostle Paul didn't have a cell phone. And quite frankly, I think if he did have a cell phone, he wouldn't have been on the cell phone. What's he doing? He's in Athens waiting on Silas and Timothy, and he's right there in Athens, and he realizes, wow, this city's given to idolatry. He sees all the idols. And verse number, uh, uh, let's see where it is, verse number 23 he sees an idol that's marked to the unknown God. These people were a superstitious people. They had idols to all kinds of gods. They wanted to cover all their bases. And they had an idol that said, just in case we missed it, they had one that said, to the unknown God. Now the Apostle Paul, smart, smart individual, uses that as a platform. And he gathers the people together and he says, I want to talk to you about this God right here, the unknown God. But he communicated to them Christ because he got stirred when he saw the needs of the people around them. We live in a world that's easy to shelter ourselves from the needs of people. 
it's easy to go and um, some of you homeschool so here we are in the home and we'll go grab a grocery here and we'll come back in the home and we'll go to church and we'll come back to home and maybe we'll go to a lesson and we'll come back to home and we're not interacting do you know what sometimes we've got to be in the trenches and see people and see their needs I alluded to it this morning. When you look at the life of the Lord Jesus, the Bible tells us on many times he was moved with compassion. But he was moved with compassion when what? When he saw the people and their needs. In Matthew chapter 9 and verse 36, the Bible says, When he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then said he to his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. Here are all the needs, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of harvest, that he'll send forth laborers into his harvest. In Matthew chapter 14 and verse number 14, the Bible says this, And Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and was moved with compassion toward them, and he healed their sick. You see, interacting with individuals, seeing people and the needs that they have in their life is what helps motivate to meet needs. Mark chapter 1, the Gospel of Mark chapter 1 and verse number 41, the Bible says, And Jesus, and there came, verse 40, And there came a leper to him, beseeching him, and kneeling down to him, and saying to him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. And Jesus moved with compassion put forth his hand and touched him and said, I will be thou clean. In chapter 6 of the Gospel of Mark and verse number 34, the scripture says this, And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. In John chapter number 4 and verse 35, Jesus says to his disciples, Lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they're white already to harvest. Do you know what? Telling people about Jesus, preaching Christ will not happen unless we get to where people are and we see the needs that they have in their life. You see, Pastor, how am I supposed to do this? Uh, there's many ways you can do this. Quite frankly, just get out and go to the mall. Hey, you can go to a high school football game and spend about 10 minutes there, and you'll see a lot of people that have a lot of needs. I mean, the needs are great all around us. Ask Carol, how do I get into the prison? I like to get into the prison the right way, not the wrong way. She could probably advise you both. <laughs> how do I get in the right way? And you get in there and you see the needs. Hey, you want a burden for people. Hey, try to get into the city gate mission. Try to get into a mission and say, hey, we're going we're gonna to go to a mission. We're going to try. Hey, try to get, say, hey, I'm going to get into a nursing home. I, I got to, God will give us a burden if we'll get out there. Listen, we can't just sit on the couch and expect God to give us a burden. I mean, God will stir us, but God's going to stir us to get out into the harvest fields. You see, Pastor, if we're supposed to be about uh, witnessing on a regular basis, why do we set aside times at church to go witnessing? I have found that sometimes we don't set aside time on a regular basis. And I think as a church, hey, Sunday morning service is important. Sunday night's important. It's important for us to gather and pray on a Wednesday night. But I think it's important for us to gather as a church and say our job, our mission is to go out and tell people about Jesus. And when you get out there, hey, you, you come on a Saturday and your flesh says, what are you doing? 
You see your flesh, be quiet, we're going soul winning. And you get here and somebody gives you some visits and you get ready to knock on the door and you're like, oh boy, this is, this is out of my comfort zone. But when you knock on a door and, they, and, a, and, a, and, a, and a, a lady comes to the door with, with a child and you see the need and you ask, do you know you're on your way to heaven? And you see the, the tattoos. And again, I'm not saying uh, uh, that people that have tattoos are all going to hell. I'm just saying you see the needs around you. You can't help but say, Wow. Sometimes we think our problems are really big until we see someone else's problem, until we get into the life of someone else, until we see how someone else is. I tell you this, we got better than most of the world. And if you're saved today, you're on your way to heaven, and there's a whole lot of people that aren't. And it breaks your heart as you interact and talk to people and they say, oh, I, I think that, that I don't believe that. I, I think that someday you're, you're going to die and you're going to be reincarnated and, and I hope that I can become a grasshopper. You laugh. I, I did everything I could to not laugh because it was funny to me too, but the guy on the other end was dead serious, convinced in his mind and heart that he was going to become a grasshopper. And you think about what... The devil has done in blinding people's minds. And when you get in there and you roll up your sleeves, you realize, you know what, I got it better than most of the world. And there's a lot of needs. Hey, Jesus was moved with compassion when he saw the needs. Songwriter wrote, others, Lord, yes, others, let this my motto be. Help me live for others and hence to live for thee. You have to see the need. You got to get where the need is. Say, hey, I'm going to come out. When church says, let's go out, I'm going to come out, and I'm going to get out there, and by God's grace, I'm going to see the need. I want you to see, secondly, we're going back to our text, Acts chapter number 17. Secondly, I think it's important to obey the call. In Acts 17, in verse number 2, the Bible says, And Paul, as his matter was, went in three days and reasoned with them out of the Scriptures. In verse 3 of Acts 17, the Bible says at the latter part of that verse that this Jesus whom I preach unto you is Christ. In verse 13 of the same text, but then, but when the Jews of Thessalonica had knowledge that the word of God was preached of Paul at Berea. Uh, what are we seeing? We're seeing the Apostle Paul preaching, communicating truth. Verse 17, therefore disputed he in the synagogue with the Jews. Verse 18, same chapter, the scripture says, uh, 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 Then certain philosophers of the Epicureans and the Stoics encountered him, and some said, What will this babbler say? Others said, He seemeth to be a setter forth of strange gods, because he preached unto them Jesus. Hold your place in Acts 17 and go to Acts chapter number 9. Acts chapter number 9 is where the Apostle Paul, who was Saul, got saved. He placed his faith and trust in Jesus, and he trusted Christ as Savior. And the Bible says this in verse number 15, But the Lord said unto him, speaking of Ananias, Ananias, go thy way, for he, speaking of Paul, is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Hey, God had called him to preach. In verse number 20, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues. As soon as he recognized God wanted him to preach Christ, he did it. 
Matter of fact, the Apostle Paul told the church at Corinth, Woe unto me if I preach not the gospel. Now, I know there's a difference between somebody being called to preach and somebody proclaiming Christ. You may be here tonight and say, well, I'm not called to preach, and, and that's true. But all of us are called to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. Can I say this? It's not a matter of preference. It's a command of Almighty God to every one of us to go and preach the gospel. Matthew chapter 28, go and teach all nations. Mark 16, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Luke 24, and ye are witnesses of these things. John chapter 20, as the Father has sent me, so send I you. Acts chapter number 1 and verse number 8, ye shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And what? And ye shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost part of the earth. It is a command of God for every one of us to, pro to preach Jesus, to give the gospel. How are we doing? When we recognize that God Almighty has called us, it's a privilege. But it's not just a privilege. It's a command that we need to obey. By the way, I'm convinced that if we'll say to the Lord, Lord, here I am, I need you to figure this out. I want to obey you. I want to obey the call that you've given to me. I am convinced that God will lead us. You see, how do you know that? Go back one chapter, Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16 and verse number 6, the Bible says, Now when they had gone throughout Phrygia and the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, hold on a minute. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. Yeah, that's not where God wanted them to go. And after they were come to Mysia, they, and they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. Don't go there, don't go there. Verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed, saying, Come over unto Macedonia. Verse 10, And after he was seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go to Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. We were absolutely certain that this is where God led us. God doesn't just give us a command that he doesn't enable. God will lead. He will guide. You know what? God wants to see people saved more than we do. Well, sometimes we don't put tracks in our pocket. No, we leave the house sometimes and we're not even thinking about being used of God to get the gospel. And the reality is, God's called us to do it. What was the Apostle Paul doing in Acts chapter 17? Obeying what God had called him to do. He saw the need. He looked around and saw the fields that were white unto harvest. He recognized, hey, there's a need here. God's called me to preach Christ and uh, this unknown God here that you're, that you're serving, I'm going to tell you about him. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. Oh, we've got to see the needs. We've got to see the importance of obedience, obeying the call. I want you to see thirdly, number three I wrote down, remember the time. Remember the time. You see, Pastor, what are you talking about? I think that the Apostle Paul never got over the time that he trusted Christ as Savior. 
in our text, Acts 17, he preaches a message to these folks at Athens. And I want you just to look at what he said in this message just a little bit. He says, verse 24, God that made the world and all things therein, he is Lord of heaven and earth. He dwelleth not in temples made with hands, neither is worship with men's hands, as though he needed anything, seeing he giveth to all life and breath and all things. Verse 27, that they should seek the Lord, if haply they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. The Apostle Paul had a vibrant relationship with the God of heaven. I don't think he ever got over his salvation. We won't take the time to look at it, but in Acts chapter number 21, he's before the multitude there. Can I speak? They allow him to speak to the multitude. And you know what he does? He talks about Acts 9. I was on the road to Damascus. I, was, I thought I was doing God a service and I saw this light and this voice spoke to me from heaven. And he goes through his salvation experience. A few chapters later, he is... Uh, he finds himself before Agrippa in Acts chapter 26. And Agrippa gives him again opportunity to speak. And he speaks. And do you know what he starts with? Back in Acts chapter number 9. Hey, there was a time in my life when I was on the road to Damascus and I saw the light and I heard from God and God changed me. Do you know what the Apostle Paul told Timothy, his young preacher boy, in 1 Timothy chapter number 1, in verse number 12, he says, I thank Christ Jesus the Lord, who hath enabled me, for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry, who was before a blasphemer, a persecutor, injurious. Where or what were you before Jesus came into your life? You see, he says to Timothy, hey, I was a blasphemer. I was a persecutor. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. Hey, God had grace and mercy in my life. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 15, he says this to the church at Corinth, reminding himself again, actually 1 Corinthians 15, sorry, <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, he reminds himself again of God's goodness and God's grace. He says this to the church at Corinth, I am the least of the apostles. I'm not me to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God I am what I am. And his grace which was bestowed upon me was not in vain, but I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God was with me. You see, sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget about the grace of God in our life. It's like the man that I was reading in my devotions here recently that, that owed some money. And he goes to the guy and he says, hey, uh, uh, can you owe a lot of money? And he said, can you, can, you, can you free me from this? And he begged him and the guy said, sure. Then that same guy that owed a lot of money went to this guy that owed him just a little bit. He said, I've got to get my money. You know the story. 
What's it a story of? It's a story really that helps us understand that God in his love has forgiven us of the big stuff. And God says to us, hey, the interactions with one another, they're nothing compared to what we did to him and nailing him on a cross. And God said, hey, you can forgive others. You see, sometimes we lose sight of what God has done for us. Well, sometimes we can find ourselves impatient with people that, that aren't saved, with people that are of their father, the devil. I don't mean that in an unkind way. They're blinded to truth, and that's how they act. And sometimes we can get impatient with that, and we forget where we were. And we forget the people that were patient in our lives. Oh, we need never lose sight. Al Smith sings, I've never lost the wonder of it all. You see, the wonder of it all will cause us to say, you know what? God's grace was good to me. And God's grace can be good to others. Fourthly, I want you to see this and we'll be finished. I think it's important. We'll go back to Acts chapter 17 and verse number 34. See the need, obey the call. Remember the time. Number four, look at the benefits. The Bible says this in verse number 34 as he preaches in Athens. And the Bible says, verse 32, And when they heard of the resurrection of the dead, some mocked. Others said, We will hear thee again of this matter. So Paul departed from them. Howbeit, certain men clave unto him and believed. When somebody trusts Christ as Savior, we think about the benefit of that. Sometimes I think that we think it's just for them. Do you know when somebody trusts Christ as Savior, the Bible says, I'm going to give you four benefits. The Bible says, number one, heaven rejoices. In Luke chapter number 15 and verse number 7, the Bible says this, I say unto you that likewise joy shall be in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. More than over ninety and nine just persons which need no repentance. Hey, we think about that. You want to bring joy to heaven. You can uh, make the, the bells ring in heaven when somebody trusts Christ as Savior. Uh, there's joy in heaven over one sinner. But think about this benefit, and this is a benefit that I think many Christians live without. Turn with me to John chapter number 15. John chapter number 15 is the abiding passage of Scripture. And it says, "Abide, I, we abide in the vine, I am the vine, and ye are the branches. John chapter 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can ye, except ye abide in me. We're talking about bearing fruit. I know some say, well, that's the fruit of the Spirit. I think it can be, yes, the Spirit is the fruit of the Spirit, but I also think it's fruit, people trusting Christ as Savior. I've chosen you and ordained that you should go and bring forth fruit. When you look at this passage, the Bible says this, Herein, verse 8, is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. 
And the Father hath loved me, so I have loved you. Continue in my love. Look at verse number 10. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. Verse number 11. These things have I spoken unto you that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. I don't have time to really develop this here tonight, but I'm going to tell you this. You want to have fullness of joy. If I was to say to you, what will give you the most joy in the whole entire world? Some young person might say, going to Six Flags. That, that gives me so much joy and happiness, you know? Someone might say, going to the Shady Maple. That brings me so much joy and happiness till you eat too much, right? Uh, that's a destination place, by the way. I was there one time. People came from New York just to eat there and turn around and go back home. I'm thinking, whoa. So it's a privilege that it's in your backyard. Do you know what? The thing that will give you the most joy, fullness of joy. You look at John 15, we're connected to the vine. We're going to bear fruit. And guess what? Our joy is going to be full. You lead somebody to Christ. You say to them, hey, Jesus loves you. And they trust Christ as Savior. And you come to grips with the reality of they were on their way to hell. God used me as an agent to help them to see their need. And I'm telling you, there's no joy in the world like it. There's not. That's a huge benefit. We think about the, the rewards. We think about the benefits in John 15 and verse number 16. Here's a third benefit. God's purpose is fulfilled. Ye have not chosen me, but I've chosen you and ordained you that you should go and bring forth fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you should ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. We're talking about prayer now. Prayer and bearing fruit and joy, we think concerning God's purpose. Why does God have us here? The second you trusted Christ as Savior, God could have said, Zoom, I'm taking you to heaven. But he didn't do that. He wants us to glorify himself while we're here on earth. As he conforms us to the image of Christ. And as he uses us to fulfill his purpose. And that is preaching Christ. And then a last benefit is found in 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4, Paul writes to Timothy toward the end of his life. And you know it, he says in verse 6, I am ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. We think about the benefits. What a privilege it is for us to be used of God in such a great way. While I was preparing this, I sensed the Lord put this illustration on my heart. I shared it a couple times here. I shared it two and a half years ago from my record. Some of you will remember this. It really brings home sometimes our lack of fulfilling the responsibility that God has given to us when it comes to this matter of reaching people. The discovery of the wreck of the Titanic in September 1985 riveted historians and reopened the question of why so many people perished on that night, April 14, 1912. 
So they researched and they said, why is it that so many people perished? They concluded that many of the Titanic's 20 lifeboats were only half filled. The occupants of those boats collectively, this is the crazy thing, refused to return to the crying mass of nearly 1,000 people left drowning in the dark North Atlantic waters after the ship sank. They just refused to go. They had room in their boat and they refused to go. An official court testimony from the survivors recorded that a continual moan and cry for help coming from those in the water lasted for nearly an hour. Because those in those boats feared the mass of people still in the water would capsize the boats, they had been so fortunate as to obtain safety themselves, they ignored the cries for help. I'll shorten the illustration. The most unthinkably callous occurrence of the whole tragedy was that the drowning people's cries were so unnerving to those already in the boats that in some cases they sang loudly to deafen their ears to the disturbing voices of the dying. In boat number 11, someone led the passengers in a cheer, and everyone cheered and cheered to drown the screams. Unbelievably, in boat number 14, as they rowed away from the perishing, the occupants sang, throw out the lifeline, throw out the lifeline, someone is drifting away. That dark night in the space of a little over an hour, 1,522 people sank into a watery grave two miles deep in the black North Atlantic while hundreds of others cheered and sang to calm their own nerves and divert their attention from the immense catastrophe taking place before their very eyes. We think that's terrible. How could people do that? How could people be in a lifeboat that's half full and just sing songs and scream to drown out the noise of those other dying when they could have rescued some? And we think about this, how many a Christian lives one day and the next day and the next day and the next day, not burdened for the lost around us. Paul's manner of life was to preach Christ. And our manner of life ought to be to preach Christ until Christ calls us home to heaven. Lord, we love you tonight.